This talk was given to a group of people sitting in silence during a meditation retreat. It is intended for a mind that is quiet and attentive. We invite you to enter into your own mini-retreat by sitting quietly and listening wholeheartedly. The teachings you are about to receive were freely offered. If you would like to make a donation to support their continuation, please visit us at dharmaseed.org. The theme <coughs> for the evening talk is love, not loving-kindness. A good century or more ago, scholars, primarily from uh, England and Germany, traveled to different places uh, in the East, uh, noticeably uh, India, and became very curious about the languages, the ancient languages there, primarily Sanskrit and Pali. And then we started and was initiated a tremendous amount of scholarship in the translation of these languages into a German and uh, English. And what we have seen <coughs> over the years, over the generations now and uh, decades, is the language of interpretation of these old words, which may have been appropriate at the time, but may not be so appropriate here and now. And one of those words, which many of you who have uh, stepped foot in such illustrious places as here, will have heard regularly, is the word meta. M-E-T-T-A. And it has been, for a century or more, translated, as many of you know better than I, as loving-kindness. And I suspect, if I was to hazard a small guess, that <clears throat> when the scholars had some contact with the ordained sangha, the, the monks dressed in their robes, as Bhikkhu Shinyata is uh, sitting here, they witnessed and saw lots of warmth, kindness, loving-kindness, gentility, and thought, ah, this is what metta really must mean. So the word metta then got translated, this is my uh, uh, guess, it's a good one though, um, <laughs> from that metta got translated as uh, loving kindness. What then happened, and somewhat based on the uh, text, it's a, a brief historical lesson for you, I, I'll get on with the meat later on. That, based on what was in the text, that is the Pali text, the langui language that the Buddha uh, spoke in, was a tremendous encouragement to direct and generate loving-kindness in all the directions. Above, below, north, south, east and west, here, there and everywhere. 
And so, in the interpretation of this, for generations, men and women have engaged, east and west, in the practice of generating loving-kindness through the cultivation of warm, pleasurable feelings with an open heart to oneself and others. Although one does notice sometimes that the poor others get forgotten and all the matter is just going for one's poor, miserable self. However, we'll go into that in a moment. So, thus metta has become narrowly, somewhat, I feel, easily, exclusively defined by a feeling which is pervasive, which is going in a variety of uh, directions, and this becomes the general interpretation of what metta is. Ooh. There's no doubt at all, though, that a significant and important shift has taken place in the, uh, uh, in the West, partly over the uh, years, that means the last couple of decades or so, one of the biggest complaints about insight meditation, known as vipassana meditation in the East, was it was considered dry, very dry practice. <coughs> Slow walking. <coughs> and therefore, it was decided to make it wet. And what was introduced, instead of a little five or ten minutes of metta at the end of some hard slog of a ten-day retreat or week-long retreat, it was brought in a little bit more frequently during the days. The value of this, of course, is it does bring in, rightly, appropriately, and skillfully, the actuality of kindness and care and sensitivity from the heart into the meditation. And certainly an important feature of sitting, walking, standing and reclining, eating and work period and listening, is to check in with ourselves, to recognize and see, is the heart actively engaged in the process? Because if it isn't, it's at the expense of what truly matters, which is love. And it's very easy, and it's far too easy, for meditation to become a habit, to engage in a rather monotonous regularity of the form, which eventually will end up for us becoming dissatisfied with it, disillusioned with it, not getting anything out of it, quite forgetting, wow, I have been so identified with the form of meditation, with the cycle and the repetition of it, that I forgot the one thing that matters in life is love. Far more significant, beautiful, profound, than the act 
of the meditation, the form of the meditation itself. And so we need to ask ourselves, when I'm standing, what shows the love? When I'm sitting here, what shows the love? When I'm just being in my aloneness, what shows the love? And therefore we're not neglecting something of great significance through the repetition of method and technique. Because as human beings we're terribly vulnerable to living in the pattern. And love that has no pattern to it. I mentioned um, a day or two ago that uh, I can't remember quite what I said but I think I said something like Hollywood means the construction is one of my least favorite places on the earth and I haven't been I'm not talking about the people who live there but you know what I mean and so I haven't been to the cinema for a decade But I did go this year. I had been giving a workshop in uh, London to a group of people who are training to be interfaith ministers. And this was started by uh, some years ago by a New York rabbi who recognized and realized that people of faith need to understand each other's faith a lot more. What is in common and what is different. And between the end of the workshop, which was at lunchtime, and the 10 o'clock flight to dear old sunny Tel Aviv, I had a few hours to spare. So I, rather than, as I usually do, loiter around bookshops and coffee shops, decided instead to go and see a film. The film that I went to see was a film not made down the road, but made in Germany, called Downfall, which is an account of the last days of Adolf Hitler's life in the bunker in Berlin as the Russian troops got closer and closer and closer. And there was one point in the film which, as sometimes happens when one goes to the uh, cinema, which kind of a tiny event telling us a lot, I felt. And in the absolute hysteria of this uh, individual's life and all the carnage and chaos and barbarism that took place out of it, two days before he committed, the Führer committed suicide, he decided to marry Eva Braun. And while yelling and screaming that the whole reason for the end of, uh, for the defeat of Germany was because the Germans weren't strong enough, and while yelling out that compassion is only for the weak, I won't 
war. And all this neurosis of, of viewpoint. Something in this unfathomable individual reached out 48 hours before taking the cyanide to make a connection with somebody called Ava Braun and in front of the others, Maria. Some feeling for connection towards in the midst of this nightmarish hysteria. And the first question that the JP, Justice of the Peace or whatever, who was marrying, said, and had to say under the law of fascism, are you an Aryan? And the Germans, generals, said, wah, 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 like this. And then to everyone, are you an Aryan? And then the ceremony, and then two days later, the, the ceremony. I make the small point out of this. that sometimes in the listening within ourselves, in the connecting with ourselves, no matter what goes on with us, the blame, the negativity, the conflict, the confusion, the pandemonium, the chaos, inwardly and outwardly manifesting, in spite of all of that, somewhere in the midst of it all, there's something else that matters. Small, tiny glimmer, but that matters. And then one says, and I'm raising the question, even though the heart feeling reaches out towards another, in some way, for us, Is this love? Is this love? And I think the Dharma world, Buddhist world, religious world, and uh, you and I have a lot more inner work to do on the exploration of what love is than what we believe, what we feel, what we are told, what we practice, and what we've learned. I think as human beings, we have hardly cut deep with love. And it's not enough to be kind. It's not enough to be kind to ourselves and others. And somehow or other think that's what love is all about. And perhaps authentic love lies somewhere totally different from what we imagine and what we believe.
look at our experience with love, what usually happens for us, and just think about anything or anyone that you love in life. There's some movement of the heart. It finds its flow and outlet towards another. And the indication or the proof of the love seems to show itself in the actuality of the connection. I've made a really strong connection with this woman, with this man. I've made a really strong connection with this place. I just love being in this place. I just uh, love being in contact uh, with this group or whatever. And when I'm with him, her, this, or when I'm engaged in that, I just love writing, I just love painting, I just love dance, I just love music. So we find in this world something which comes to us. The heart responds to that. And then we bring in, via, through the connection, to ourselves and to us and say, this is love. And it has, in the everyday sense, all the feeling and the intimation of it because it's a gesture from the heart. So then what we know is, when I'm not with him or her, when I feel separated from, when I am unable to do, it affects my love. It has an impact on my love. My love is dependent on him, her, this or that. And then there is a gap. And when the blame comes in, and the fault finding comes in, and the gap is growing, then of course the love is correspondingly affected and it goes down. I feel very close to the gap sets in, I feel very far from. I think it's called marriage and divorce, isn't it? So the love diminished. Diminished. Less and less and less and less and less and maybe completely gone and then further into negativity, anger, blame, more and more and correspondingly the gap gets bigger. What kind of love is it which is so dependent on person, place, practice, environment or whatever and so dependent on me and my history and how I am in relationship to? Well, this love is terribly shaky. It's a terribly unreliable love. If you're nice to me, I love you. But I won't if you hate me. I'll be nice to you as long as you provide me with what I want. But when you stop, the love starts to slip and slide. <laughs> 
my love becomes so dependent on things fitting in with the agreement of the self. Oh, my God. What love is this? What love is this? Sometimes we say, it's hopeless trying to love anybody in this world. They're all hopeless. I'm hopeless. What's the point? It's a good question. Don't be afraid of it. Some will say, okay, I can't love anything, anybody in this world. I'll take the love out of this world and I'll love uh, G-O-D. Or as some of my uh, dear Jewish uh, Orthodox uh, friends will say G hyphen D when it's in the book. Rather nice. That means the same thing. And once a person went to the Buddha, and the Buddha had a, a hard edge to him, and the person said to the Buddha, if, you, if you've been to India, even more amusing. He said, I love God. Oh, I love God. <laughs> All right, you get the picture. <laughs> I, I love India. God knows why. I've not worked it out. But, uh, anyway, he said, I love God. And the Buddha said, have you met God? No, 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 not met God, no. What, the, what does God look like? Did he say anything about, no, no. I know nothing. I have not met God, but I love God. And the Buddha comment, comment on this was, it's like someone going to saying somebody else, I've fallen totally in love with this woman. And the person said, oh, what's she like? Well, I haven't met her yet. <laughs> but what's the color of her hair or her eyes or her skin or how is she working? I don't know, but I've fallen totally in love with her. This is what happens. You can fall in love with something which is ethereal, ephemeral, it's an idea, we have no idea what we're talking about. So we call it God. And when we have no idea what we're talking about, we will say and do all sorts of things in the name of G-O-D. Better to love D-O-G. <laughs> we look love. Perhaps we have some time and opportunity here to perhaps develop a different kind of sense of the directions that love can go in. To use this metaphorical language of the Buddha of all directions. And rather than just a kind of generalized pervasiveness, which can be genuinely very powerful and very significant and 
not just underestimating the very beauty and profundity of uh, deep metta meditation. But to get it a bit more grounded with us and to actually ask ourselves, when I give consideration to this beautiful thing of love, which all human beings have a very deep interest in, whether we like it or not, what are the areas from myself as a human being, what are the areas, what are the directions that I experience this love, which I call love, going in? Where is it going? Could it be I am, as a human being, I am concentrating far too narrowly in one area, putting, so to speak, all one's eggs in one basket, in one area, and not realizing, to use the Buddha's word, the limitlessness of love. And perhaps something inwardly has to, maybe, start shifting for us in this way. And what I have in mind here is, what's the relationship like for us with the blood line? Those called family. Bless them. Those who are so close to us, we think they're getting up our nose. How is our contact and our communication? And is it sometimes, and all too humanly, the empowerment of my love and its expression is shaped and determined by what comes back to me? Can I dig deep enough inside of myself that the sense of limitless love is to tap into it even if this person, whoever he may or she may be in the family, is not ever going to change one single iota. They may, he or she, they may have been a terror to us in the past. They are persisting with the views in the present and they'll take them to the grave about us. And no amount of whatever we do is going to change it one iota. Can I? Huge challenge for us family is usually the best test of love, can I find a way to bring something out of me which is not depend upon, dependent on the outcome? Family is called the bloodline. Family is called partner. Family is called ex-partner, partners. All those who are close to us, who 
are very close to us, who hold in our consciousness a particular kind of association and position, which truly challenge our ability to be present for. I don't think it's loving-kindness. I don't think it's being an intolerably sweet and nice person. Something about an awareness, about humanness. One of the blocks to this, and I think it's a very major one, which inhibits love not bound up with approval, is the identity that easily goes with it. That somehow, in the best of the tradition, it's encouraged us again and again to keep dropping the identity. And all the time, I am a son, a father, a grandfather, what else? A lover, an uncle, a cousin, the ex of, or whatever. When I have those identities, my image and my picture is strongly influenced by the role. And if I can somehow shake myself out of the role, shake myself, myself here, out of this, this is who I am, and mother, daughter, sister, friend, aunt, whatever it might be, shake oneself out of the role. Maybe there is an opportunity out of the identity to get a sense of human being to human being and maybe love will start to show itself. Maybe. The very identity we have with the situation easily inhibits the love. Some people can hardly mention mother and father without getting upset. Sometimes, lovely thing about the emotional and feeling life, it, 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 it runs the edges. Runs the edges. Everything is beautifully close to each other. While you've been sitting here, the probability you and I, during the time we've been here, have had some thoughts about somebody. This is one of the greatest activities on the planet, is the meditation hall, to be remembering people that we know. They keep popping up in consciousness, hello, I'm still around, <laughs> for better or worse. And uh, Rumi has a lovely poem about this. He's obviously a hardcore meditator. He says, we are the host, the sense of consciousness, being conscious of, 
and the various guests come to us. And the guests come to us, and sometimes the guests come to us with a state of mind. Sometimes a thought of someone and one immediately feels angry or depressed or undecided or confused or grateful or whatever. And in the past, because the feeling life runs so close to each other, it may be that we recollect somebody that we knew. And for various reasons, we've lost contact. The connection has gone. Maybe the recollection is appreciation and gratitude. But in the memory of this person, as time has gone by, one looks at oneself and one feels some regret over what happened. Be a rare one of us who don't have this experience. The very gratitude for, despite the difficulties that occurred with him, her, them, the very gratitude for is easily the invitation for the regret. Just sitting, walking, someone comes to mind from the past we haven't had contact with. We feel appreciation for. We learnt a lot of lessons from We appreciate what he or she or they gave to us. And with the gratitude, it's the invitation to the regret. And we're constantly in the inner life having to live this dance. Rather beautiful. Rather beautiful. Rather beautiful to be with the heart in its constant vulnerability. Another area, too, which needs to be rather explored rather a lot, is the area of. Uh, connection and uh, intimacy and generally speaking religion has not done very well at all and neither has secular culture from the pornography at one end of it to the self-righteous moralizing at the other end of it comes another area for us to, to try to explore and understand what the dynamics are that take place in love, connection, intimacy. To give a small example, I was uh, speaking with a 
woman some time ago and she said to me that she had been married for several years and then her husband had said that he was having uh, an affair with um, another woman and both of them being Buddhists, bless them, could use then very conveniently a lovely language to fit in with the justification. I just love it. And he said, well, uh, part of our practice is to be into sharing. <laughs> um, uh, letting go, making allowances for that it's just clinging to the view of monogamy. Exactly. So this was used. Bless him. And she, for quite some period of time, meaning more than a year, had some doubts whether her response to it was valuable or whether or not I mean her response to it was right it didn't sit well with her at any level it was not what they had agreed to he had broken a commitment or whether he was right adopting the view that she was simply clinging oh the Buddhist language is a terror isn't it right? she's clinging so if she stopped clinging, then everything would be all right. And she thought, well, maybe he's right in her sleepless nights as he warmed the bed of the other woman. On first hearing it, this description, the immediate inner response the sympathy all went totally to the woman. And what a rat bag her beloved Buddhist husband really was. <laughs> but yeah, first immediate response. It's called being dualistic. <laughs> As one probed a little bit further, it went from 100... I'm slightly exaggerating, not too much... 100% responsibility was his. She was the innocent party. Listening more, talking more, oh, 90%, 10%. Oh, 80%, 20%. Oh, 70%, 30%. In other words, sometimes we listen the immediate information puts it into the dualism of right, wrong, this, that, good, bad, etc. But we may not know the causes and conditions which contribute to the result. We may not know comprehensively the causes and conditions which contribute to the result. 
this finding out causes and conditions that contribute to the result he had another woman finding out the causes and conditions that contribute to the result this finding out is called love it's listening love is not the rush to judgment love is not the rush to condemnation love is not the rush to feeling one is absolutely right about anything this is love we had this yatra I must tell you this we had this yatra this pilgrimage in um, France every year we go, go for the walk and there's a good crowd of us and all people in all sorts of uh, uh, ages and we camp out in fields lots and lots of tents I don't know how many 100, 150 tents camped out in the, in, in the field with a whole array of different designs and shapes and sizes of tents. One-person tent, two-person tent, five-person tent, ten-person tent, etc. One thing, all these clever designs with tents, that not one of them is yet proved to be soundproof. You got it. Two o'clock in the morning, summer in the Dordogne in France in this great field beautifully silent middle of the night I'm sitting there just love the silent love the middle of the night I'm sitting there and then a few tents away I could hear this heavy breathing <laughs> going on in unison two of them together Great heavy breathing. First I thought it must be some new mindfulness of breathing exercise <laughs> imported from California, of course. So I'm sitting there, silent stillness, and this wonderful heavy breathing uh, 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 going on, the rustling of the sleeping bag, and then a few quiet, and then the energy back up again. Wow, they're having a great time in there. Bless them. So, the following day, and I had no idea which tent, by the way, uh, etc. There. So the teachers and the managers, about eight or ten teachers and managers, had a meeting, <coughs> and I uh, mentioning my listening meditation. And I said that on the walk <coughs> that some people call it a, a yatra, which means pilgrimage, and others of us have retranslated it as partner-forming agency. 
and lots of people make contact and connection and friendship and relationships uh, uh, develop and, and uh, why not? Heaven and earth is there. So I said, people come and they're walking for 14 days and barely touch the town or the, or, or, or the villages. So I said, we should provide condoms for those who forget them. And it was rather interesting to notice the rather Buddhist discomfort at mentioning providing condoms for meditators, walkers, yatra wallows. Yeah. And they said, well, you know, Christopher, you know, what will people think? And it might encourage loose sex, whatever that means. And, Etc. So then, there was a little agreement, and then they said, "Well, if we provide them, where do we put them?" <laughs> and then one person said, "Well, we could just make one announcement, and we'll put them in the medicine box." And I said, "But they're not sick." <laughs> And they said, well, when I said, well, put them out with the hot drink at night. <laughs> anyway, just thought I'd mention it. <laughs> All right. Unless with love, and as one person uh, said to me in uh, Germany, because I've attended many retreats, in the Insight Meditation Network, etc. Very few talks about intimacy, about sexuality, about making love, about people being together. And the community of us, collectively, individually, need to address and explore and look into these areas. And I think an important aspect of this in the very, in the way, romance of life and in the eros of life, the strong tendency, because of our conditioning with love, is to believe, and it's a false and deceptive one, but to, to somehow, somehow to believe that love can only express itself through, or one of the forms, through closeness with another. And the idea has been given to us, and I say that, it's been given to us, that if one is not in a relationship, one wishes one was in a relationship. And then there are others, of course, who are in a relationship and just wish, what? They weren't in a relationship, and others don't know if they are or if they're not. But more importantly, that love, to repeat again, is not about connection. It's not about being together or not being together, about being in a relationship or not being in a relationship. And this 
problematic area for so many people is so tied up with what one feels feels love is about. Somehow we've got to have a different sense of what love is. I referred to Rilke evening. He says, to love means that we are the guardians of each other's solitude. Very beautiful. We are the guardians of each other's solitude. And sometimes, in the process of meditation and in our stillness and in our solitude, the love naturally begins to develop and begins to build within. And if we can allow that love just to rest in us and that it doesn't just rather fleetingly run out, it has an ex <coughs> extraordinary, <coughs> power to, extraordinary power to it. And when it does move, part of knowing ourselves is the recognition of the different directions it can move in and towards family, the close one or ones, towards service for others, towards the nature, to creativity, the love of the Dharma, the practice, the teachers, the teachings. And if you and I reflect and meditate, and we inquire, we ask ourselves, is my love moving genuinely in such diverse directions? Is it genuinely going into the Dharma of practice? Is it genuinely daily going into creativity, to a love of the nature, which is going to require a huge ethic And that love is not dependent on a feeling. You know what I read the other day? If people, if the whole world lived at the same scale as many people do in Marin County down the road, it would take six planets of this size to support all those people. Hear what I said? If people who live a very privileged lifestyle, and this is one of the most exclusively privileged areas on this whole planet we know, the rest of the planet was to live like this, it would take six planets to support everybody. So then, love is not a feeling. 
Love is an act of renunciation. Love is a, a cutting back on. Love is a learning to do less with. Love is an expression of doing without. Because more in is more in. <laughs> Not more in. And there needs to be more out. Not more in. Slight play on words there. <laughs> I know, I stretched it. All right. <laughs> that expression of love is an ethic. It's not tied up with how I feel. It's a love with tied up about something that I know and I realize. And therefore, love is not tied to a feeling, to awareness, to a clarity, to a knowledge. So as I say, if we explore love, through our intimacy with life or and our intimacy with another through our relationship to the bloodline through service through creativity through nature then we pay respect to the Dharma which says love is limitless and the whole function of the love is for one thing alone, chetu vimuti, liberation of the mind. Just as truth is limitless, one of the clearest manifestations of the realization of limitless truth is through a limitless heart. And you and I as men and women on the earth we have to dig deep into our inner resources here and dig deep with each other. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings realize true love. May all beings touch upon the limitless. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes, shall we?